Welcome to Midi the Podcast, a modern day podcast designed to answer all of your weird and wonderful pregnancy and postpartum questions. I'm your host, Monique Maitland, qualified midwife and nurse, founder of the Midi Society, and someone who is about to become your personal in-pocket midwife and virtual best friend. The Midi Society is a community-based platform where we interview leading healthcare professionals, new mummers and everyday people who share with us their experiences and reveal what they wish they knew before becoming a parent. So buckle up for this crazy and exciting ride. I'll be talking all things tits, bits, spew and poo. Alright, let's get started. Hey guys and welcome back to our Midi Mini Expert Series, a four-part series proudly brought to you by Tushies, Gaia and Milton. As part of this mini-series, I got to sit down with some of the best experts in their field, such as Dr. Golly, a paediatrician, Courtney Garland, a NICU nurse, lactation consultant and sleep consultant from Mama Link, Nicole Gleason, a paediatric emergency nurse from Rhythm First Aid, and Penny Douglas, a paediatric nurse and baby massage consultant from South Coast Baby Massage. This four-part mini-series has been designed to provide new and current parents with essential education regarding topics that all parents should be aware of, such as normal and abnormal baby's output, expressing and sterilizing, infant skin conditions, and of course, baby massage. So before we get into it, let's hear more about today's sponsor, Gaia Skin Naturals. When a baby is born, their acid mantle or barrier function is not fully developed yet and their skin is 30% thinner than adult skin. Therefore, it's important to use specialized gentle skincare products such as Gaia. Water is not enough to effectively cleanse a buildup of dirt and bacteria that's caused by feces, urine, food, and everyday living. Babies are commonly exposed to the dehumidifying effects of climate controlled environments and changes in the weather, which can quickly result in dry skin. Thankfully, Gaia have a range of products to help your little one through everyday life, such as their cradle cap lotion, body washes, and soothing creams. Now now it's time to meet this week's expert, Nicole. Nicole Gleason is a paediatric emergency nurse and founder of Rhythm First Aid. Nicole is highly passionate about providing parents with the knowledge to assess and respond to their child's first aid needs. From an insect bite to performing life-saving CPR, Nicole believes that every parent needs to have the skills to enable them to save their child's life. Within this episode, Nicole shares with us vital education regarding normal and abnormal rashes, assessing rashes and when to seek help. Please welcome Nicole. Hello everyone and welcome back to Midi's Mini Expert Series. Today I am joined by our third wonderful expert, Nicole Gleason. And she is actually joined by an extra person too. So, Nicole, who have you got with you? <laughs> Hi, Mon. I wasn't expecting that. Um, well, the person is still growing inside my uterus, um, but we'll be here in winter. Yes, yeah, so exciting. And I've jumped straight into the exciting news of that Nicole is currently pregnant. I couldn't be more pumped for you. Um, and people who are listening have probably listened to you on the podcast before because you were back for your second episode. Um, and Nicole is a wealth of knowledge. So before I toot your horn a little bit too much, do you want to tell people <laughs> a bit more about yourself? Yeah, sure. So my name's Nicole. I'm a registered nurse. So I've 
worked in a major um, metropolitan hospital for over a decade. So I've been there for over 10 years now. Um, I have a postgraduate degree in paediatrics. That's my area of specialty. I've worked in mostly in emergency, but I've also spent a bit of time on a few different medical boards in the education department. And in the last four years, I founded Rhythm First Aid. So it's a first aid training company that's based in Victoria and we facilitate first aid training courses all around the state. And those first aid training courses are comprised of infant and child first aid courses. So a lot of new and expecting parents, as well as workplace first aid courses. So a lot of childcare centers, schools, corporate workplaces. And we also have an online store as well. So um, <laughs> lots of first aid kits and defibrillators and medical supplies for businesses and schools. So a few different, I have put my finger in a few different pies, but I quite like the um, variety and for me the variety is certainly the spice life yeah and you are a very very busy woman and you know when I was thinking what expert could I get on here today to talk about all things infant skin conditions I just thought there's no one better than Nicole Gleason from Rhythm First Aid so here we are again perfect thank you and yeah I've seen lots of uh, newborns, infants and children's um, presenting to the emergency department with skin conditions, but also those that are quite moderate to severe that have need to be needed to be hospitalised um, and so cared for them, yeah, within the emergency department and also on a medical ward as well. So hopefully I can share some of my knowledge and you can learn a thing or two throughout today's podcast. Absolutely. I'm sure there will be no doubt that you'll share lots of your knowledge and together we're going to tag team this episode because obviously, as you mentioned, there are a lot of common rashes that we see in some that are categorised into newborns, infants and children and we're going to break those down and work together to share both of our knowledges with the audience. So, First of all, what are common rashes we see in newborns, infants and children? Well, firstly, rashes are really common in infants, uh, newborns and children. And most rashes are not serious and they're actually quite safe. There are a few rashes that are a lot more serious that require urgent medical attention. Um, But the causes and triggers for these types of rashes uh, really vary with the most common being uh, viruses and often they go away without requiring any treatment um, but some rashes are quite specific that require specific treatment for that rash. Yeah and for me my specialty is newborns so I'm going to talk us through a little bit more about some of those common harmless newborn rashes that we do see and Some people listening may have heard of these because, like I said, they are common. But for a lot of new parents, uh, they really have no idea about this. And often that's where they get concerned when they see their child with this type of rash. So the most common rash that I would see in a newborn, it's actually what we call as a normal newborn rash. Um, But its medical term is the erythema toxicum. And basically... What that is, is it's a harmless rash, which many newborns get. It actually happens in up to half of all term newborns. So term is from 37 weeks gestation um, and it does appear on day zero to day three. It pretty much just looks like small red lumps or bumps along your baby's body um, and it does vary into how many 
like red patches that they can get on their body. Some babies have it all over their body, whereas some people might just actually only have a little few ones. But so many times parents go, hey, Mon, like, is this is this normal? Like, it looks like my baby has a rash. And absolutely it is. You do not need to do anything to this rash. It will go by itself. And then another really common newborn rash that I would see is the milia. And milia are tiny white lumps or sometimes what we say is clear blisters that appear on babies' faces soon after birth. Most commonly, it's sort of on their nose and cheeks and they are really, really harmless and they will go away by themselves. So please, parents, if you see them, they look like little pimples, but you do not need to squeeze them because you'll make them worse. They will go away by themselves. I was just going to say it might be so tempting to squeeze. Like when you see the first few ones, be like, oh, my God, they've got a pimple and like want to run your fingernail over it, but to squeeze, do not do that. <laughs> yeah, they really just look like little whiteheads, yeah. but please do not pick them because obviously germs and bacteria and we don't want to cause any sort of infection into that area. And then, Nick, one of the common things that we would see, and this is in newborns and infants as well, is nappy rash. Do you want to share with people why nappy rash occurs and what we can do with it? Yeah, of course. So nappy rash can be quite common in newborns and infants and even young toddlers that are still in nappies. And this is because there's constant moisture on the perineum area from whether that be um, urine or feces and then there can also be some friction from the nappies as well and some nappies can cause a bit of irritation to little one's skin as well and sometimes this uh, urine or feces that's sitting on the skin can cause some redness and um, breaking down of the skin that turns into this nappy rash um, and it can also be really sore and quite irritated when the skin is wiped um, and so the number one tip to help prevent or to help treat a mild nappy rash would be to apply a really thick zinc-based barrier cream. Um, as soon as you notice that the skin might be a bit red or there's a tiny little bit of breakdown. Um, and then every time when, when you're changing the nappy, you don't actually need to wipe all the cream off. You would just leave that on there and apply a little bit more over the top um, and applying quite a thick layer to protect that skin to help promote it healing um, and sometimes the nappy rash might be quite bad if your child was unwell so maybe if they had mm. gastro where you think about the frequency of the stool or the feces and sometimes it can be a little bit more acidic or some babies that were having intolerances or they as a side effect from antibiotics they might have looser stools as well mm. so um, just keeping an eye on of course you'd be always checking the nappy area with every nappy change and the wipes as well are also important because you don't want to be uh, using any wipes and contain any fragrances or anything like that. We just want wipes um, with limited ingredients, certainly no alcohol and perhaps just a little bit of water. If the child's nappy was uh, area was really bad, what we do sometimes in hospital is use, I'm not sure if you do this in newborns as well, Mon, is using mm. cotton balls um, and you know, just wetting those and not actually using any wipes on their super delicate skin. And you definitely see like parents really wiping that area and even up to like three days old, you can already see the perineal area becoming white, quite red. Mm -hmm. um, so 
it's, you know, the same thing would happen to us if we were constantly wiping ourselves over and over and over again, that area would become quite irritated. And you think for these little people that can't always verbalise how they're feeling, they're obviously going to become a little bit uncomfortable from it. Mm-hmm. One thing that I would suggest too is actually, you know, giving your baby a break from the nappy too, just to have some nappy free time to help air out that area. Yeah, definitely. That's a really helpful. Good point, isn't it? And then I also would say sometimes even if like you want to put their bottom in some water, like put them into the bath, just so it's more delicate on their skin than rather wiping it off. Like if they've had a really explosive sort of nappy, um, you can even just put them into the water and give them a quick bath and then get them out and pat dry rather than wiping again. All the things that you're going to have to learn, Nick, when you make this <laughs> baby of yours. Yeah. Tell you what, this episode's just for you, just prepping you. <laughs> yeah, certainly with the newborn um, parts, I can call on yourself for some tips and advice if I need it. Yeah, don't worry. I've got you. Um, <laughs> and then one of the other common things, and most people have heard of this, it's called cradle cap. And really people think of that like yellowy crusty scalp on a baby that's normally how we would describe cradle crap (laughs) cradle crap now we're talking about poo now I'm calling it cradle crap (laughs) cradle cap it is a bit crappy (laughs) yeah it is and um it is a form of dermatitis that affects young babies usually between zero to three months old and it does include that greasy waxy yellow crust on the scalp or even where um within the eyebrows Mm. and I found this quite amazing when I was doing some more research on this that because if you think about it our babies have been in utero for nine months hopefully and there is actually a gland that produces um, a chemical to make their skin more waterproof to protect them from the amniotic fluid. So then when they are brought into the world, they're still producing that chemical and that causes the grease and everything to be trapped within the skin, which then causes the irritation. And I just think that's wild because it's the way that our body used to, our baby used to protect themselves when they were in utero. And now they're just having to adjust to that um, outside world. So that's sort of the reason um, why cradle cap is caused. Yeah, awesome. And with cradle cap, we don't really see that too much in an emergency department or something that's hospitalised, but most of the time you can just leave it and it will go away on its own. But if you're a bit of a picker or popper or someone that likes to attack things, you you may want to um, use like a soft toothbrush or something similar to um, lightly loosen some of the cradle cap, like that skin. Um, but just important to remember that if you are playing with a cradle cap that you want to be super gentle and there's also a risk that it could become infected and so we certainly don't want we where possible we want to avoid it becoming infected and if you suspected that the cradle cap was becoming infected um that you would need to head to your gp for an assessment as well and also cradle caps not contagious it's not not anything to do with mm. um poor hygiene as well it's not anyone's fault or anything it's just one of those things that happens so don't be too hard on yourself and don't worry about it too much really Mm. And it can take a little bit of time for it to go Mm. away as well. Like you shouldn't be in a rush for your baby to uh, get rid of it. So as Nick mentioned, um, you know, you see those soft brushes and you can put the correct sort of wash into their hair to help loosen that and get rid of the cradle cap. 
And then and probably one of the most common rashes again is the old dribble rash. So Nick, do you want to share a bit more about dribble rash? Yeah, of course. Some babies are big dribblers. Some dribble all the time, others not as much. And lots of babies dribble quite a lot often when they're teething or when they're sick. Sometimes they may not want to swallow their saliva as much. And of course, because they're dribbling this saliva frequently down their chin, sometimes down their neck and around their mouth, the skin is wet for long periods of time. And so that saliva and the area on the skin can become really irritated. Um, and often when they're teething as well, they're putting things in their mouth. So they may be using a dummy and, or they may be using teethers and little mittens putting in the hands in their mouth. And so this can often, um, lead to a bit of breakdown as well. So where possible, just try and keep the skin as dry as possible, easier said than done. And, you know, if they've got a wet little um, beer bond, making sure that you're replacing that. And then if you're applying any products onto the skin, again, making sure that they're fragrance free um, because we want to avoid any further irritation or breakdown of the skin. Mm. I think it all really just comes back to sort of, you know, trying to do whatever you can to prevent it from getting worse. But a lot of the time it is normal and you just want to make sure that you're not contributing to irritating the rash even further. Yes, exactly. Because a lot of these rushes are really harmless. And as a parent or a care provider, you want to help and you might find yourself trying all these different things to try and speed up the recovery of this rash or to make it less severe. But you just always need to be really mindful of what you're doing and because sometimes by doing something can actually make it worse as well. So, of course, we want to avoid that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And then I know I said that dribble rash was probably very common, Mm -hmm. but the next topic is going to be a little bit about eczema. And this is where I'm going to handball it over to you because I don't see too much um, eczema Mm -hmm. within the patients that I care for, um, but I'm sure for a lot of parents with little ones, it's really common for their baby to develop some sort of eczema and it would be quite challenging to know how to navigate that and how to work out when it's eczema versus when it's not. So do you mind sharing with us a little bit more about what eczema is? Yeah, of course. So I see lots and lots and lots of eczema um, and to me, eczema is really common and it is a very common rash. Um, so it's a it's where the skin can become really dry and the first signs you may notice if, if your baby has eczema is that their skin may have dry patches and it may also be a little bit sort of sandpapery as well. Um, and eczema is part of the allergy type group family of um, a few things involving hay fever, allergies, asthma, and then of course eczema. So we do find that there is some sort of genetic link if a parent um, has one of those that it is slightly more likely than a child would have eczema. But like I said, I, don't, I don't, can't remember the exact um, statistic off, of the, off the top of my head, but I know that it is eczema is very common. And, of course, there's different levels of eczema as well. There's mild, moderate and severe. There's mild that you may be able to just manage at home. You see your GP once and you remain on top of it. Other times there might be flare-ups that you need to go back to your GP to manage. And sometimes it's really severe that the children will actually need to be hospitalised to be able to get on top of their eczema management. Um, and so, like I said, it's it's really dry skin. It, it is often super itchy as well. So kids want to itch it. It can become red. 
And eczema can be triggered by a number of different things, such as being too hot and overheating is um, one of the biggest factors as well. So whether the environment being too hot, so heaters being on too high, a really hot or warm bath, too many layers of clothing and too hot in their sleep. If their skin becomes too dry, this can trigger their eczema as well. Sometimes there can be some irritation from different fabrics. For example, um, you know, a woolen jumper might really irritate their skin and cause a flare-up of their eczema, or it could be soaps or detergents or some other, um, you know, chemicals that could flare up their eczema too. Some foods, so some babies, like I said, that have eczema actually have allergies or they could have asthma as well. And so with a baby or a child could have a food intolerance or a food allergy and that may, you may find that may trigger their eczema too. And then eczema can be triggered by other things such as dust mites, plants, pollens, animal furs. And then often when a child is unwell with a virus, this can flare up their eczema too. So these are all the lots of different things that you'll learn about if your child has eczema and often it's not a really short-term thing it's something that they'll have for a while that you will become uh, confident in managing and when there's a flare-up knowing what creams to apply and when to seek help and things like that Um, in terms of the treatment of eczema um, because if it's really mild eczema the eczema is super dry skin so we want to apply a really thick moisturizer for this and sometimes uh, a steroid cream is also required as well so if you thought that your baby or your child has eczema the best place to start off would be seeing your GP or potentially maternal child health nurse and they will be able to recommend some um, treatment creams for you and also if you can identify or if you can write down a bit of a diary of what if there's a pattern with the eczema or if you've identified any triggers and of course trying to avoid these triggers as well for example a child that has eczema you should never give them like a normal sort of hot bath you're aiming more for a lukewarm type bath as we know that the hot water can really flare their eczema and because their skin's dry a really hydrating bath oil is really helpful too Mm. with the eczema if the child has um is really itchy which often they might be try your best to discourage them from itching easier said than done and another thing about scratching and itching is their fingernails so try and keep their fingernails as short as you can because when a child has eczema they're super itchy and if they're scratching and breaking the skin what we often see is that there's a secondary bacterial infection so because they're scratching so much because they're so uncomfortable it causes that bacterial infection um, which makes the eczema much worse and then of course the bacteria needs to be treated as well as the eczema sometimes if they are really itchy things that you can do is a cool compress so like a cold face washer sometimes we do wet wraps to help and some children that are super super itchy may even need an antihistamine as well so you can speak to your pharmacist about an age-appropriate antihistamine or your gp or maternal child health nurse Um, And then with eczema as well, sometimes it is really severe and the children need to be hospitalised and there's some quite specific treatments such as particular types of baths or where we do these wet wraps where we um they almost we almost wrap them up that they look like a mummy where we provide these wraps that we put over their limbs and their torso to the affected areas and that just provides intensive moisture and hydration to the skin to help improve severe eczema 
and um, it's quite an intensive thing that we do in hospital or sometimes hospital in the home to get on top of the eczema as well. Goodness me, it's a it's a really tough thing, I'm sure, for parents to navigate mm-hmm. because, like you said, it varies from child to child, the severity. Um, but for a parent that's, you know, maybe never had a child with eczema before, like it would be a really tough thing to work out how exactly to treat it. Yeah, absolutely. And you might um, see a pediatrician for this or you might also see a dermatology, um, a pediatrician that has um specific knowledge in dermatology so skin or you might see a dermatologist so there's also quite a few dermatology nurse practitioners that are experts in this that can provide you with advice um but it is a bit of a minefield it's you know what works well for your child might not work well for the next um but i think the best place to start is of course seeing your gp but the Royal Children's Hospital Kids Health Info Fact Sheets that you can Google anywhere, that they're free, accessible information to anyone. There's a really good one on eczema and it talks about, um, you know, what some of the triggers might be, how you can treat them at home and when when would be appropriate to go and see a doctor. So if you suspect that your child has eczema, this is definitely where I would start and, yeah, making an appointment with your healthcare professional. Mm, I found that so interesting. I didn't know that about the triggers for eczema. Mm -hmm. I've never, no one in my family's had eczema and I've Mm. never had it. So I'm very much a bit naive in this category. Um, Mm. But I was just sharing with you before that I do have sensitive skin and (laughs) react to things quite easily. Mm. Um, But keeping a diary, that is really, really interesting and makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and that is relevant not just for rashes or eczema, for so yeah. many different things with children, you know, things might be triggered or certain behaviours or certain diarrhoea or vomiting or, you know, if they were having prolonged fevers, anything, keeping a diary and writing it down is incredibly helpful um, mm-hmm. so that we can map any um, patterns or, yeah, have a look at if there's any potential triggers. It's it's really, really helpful um, and, yeah, it's a good idea to, to have a diary. It doesn't need to be fancy. You can just write it down on a piece of paper um, but really helpful for the parents, but also for us health professionals as well. Yeah, we love a good old diary. Yeah. But also just one less thing that a parent has to remember. Exactly. And yeah. when you go and see the doctor, they're going to ask you on what day did this start? And then what day did you do this? And when did it get worse? And if your child's unwell, you're, it's very likely that unfortunately you'll be sleep deprived. And so it's hard to remember mm-hmm. all this. And there's nothing better than when a parent rocks in and they say, They've got it all written down. These are the names of the creams they've tried. These are the names of, it's just like heaven. They've done such a good job. And (laughs) yeah, exactly. And no health professional is going to be judging you thinking, oh, look at this crazy woman who's written down every single thing that a child's done. Like that's exactly what we want to get clear. Nine times out of 10, it's the nurses that have done it. And so you kind of, why haven't you written this all down? Because the mum or the dad or whoever is a nurse or some sort of health professional because they understand you know in their own practice how important it is or how great a good history is (laughs) yeah because a lot of the time you can't diagnose something in a day like you need to see a bigger picture Mm. absolutely yeah it's time to learn a little bit more about our sponsor Gaia 
Now, we've spoken a lot about different types of rashes and skin conditions in children, and as a parent, it's often hard to find a product you can trust and love. Gaia's dermatologically tested baby washes are over 98% naturally derived, pH balanced and non-drying, with added organic oils and extracts to help moisturize, protect and soften your little one's skin. With such a diverse range of products, you're guaranteed to find a baby wash that's best suited to your baby. From their hair and body wash, sleep time bath wash, and bath and body wash, bath time has never been more enjoyable. So grab your Gaia Skin Natural products today at www.gaiaskinnaturals.com or at any major supermarket or pharmacy. Let's get back to the show. Um, well, thanks for sharing all of that info. I'm sure so many people are going to find that very helpful. I definitely learned a lot. Um, but the next little part that we're going to get into now, Nick, is and you've touched on how rashes can be associated with some of those viral infections. Um, so can you share a little bit more about viral infections and rashes? Yeah, sure. So viral infection uh, rashes the most common cause of rashes are viral infections so caused by a virus um, and rashes often look so much worse than what they are and some common um, a lot of rashes are caused by these viruses whether that be your slap cheek or your hand foot and mouth there's so many different types and even if your child has a normal um, a common cold where they may have had a they may have a fever with their cold as well. They might also get a, a widespread rash over their body, and sometimes you'll think your child's better, the fever's gone down, they're coughing and sneezing, and their runny nose is dried up, and then towards the end they get what we call a post-viral rash. And rashes can be quite complex, but a lot of the time they aren't dangerous and if your child ever has a rash I think the most important take-home message and the most important thing to focus on is the bigger picture and what I mean by that is how the entire child looks so just look as think about the rash as one piece to the puzzle and the the child is you know the full puzzle so how is their behavior are they super irritable are you unable to settle them or are they really flat and lethargic and you're having to wake them? You know, that is really concerning if a child had a rash as well in comparison to a child that was really happy, wasn't bothered by their rash. So that's just one example. So taking into consideration the same as you would if your child had a fever. So taking um, on board and assessing their hydration, so what they're drinking, what's going out, mm. their breathing, you're always looking at the entire picture and never just, uh, focusing on one sign or symptom and yeah. because these rashes are really common at some stage your baby or child is going to get a viral rash and a good tip and something else to do when your child has a rash is to check if the rash is blanching or not and what that means is when you push on the rash you're checking to see if the rash disappears underneath your finger so this is quite hard to explain, um, but think about if you can find a freckle or somewhere on your body, as I'm talking to you, or a mark on your body, if you push on a freckle, the freckle doesn't change colour. So when you push on it, the skin around it will turn to your um, normal colour. For me, my skin is quite a whitey pink colour, so my skin turns quite white around it. And if that freckle was a rash, so if that was a red or a purple spot, 
that didn't change colour, then that's called a non-blanching rash and the medical term for those spots of petechiae. So if a child had a petechiae, we would always recommend that they were seen by a doctor, whether that be a GP or attending the emergency department as well. There's lots of different reasons that can cause that non-blanching rash, that petechiae, and a lot of them aren't dangerous or aren't life-threatening, but there is one condition that um, we do worry about and the way that we want to assess and rule out that it's not that is by having an assessment done by a health professional and plus or minus maybe a blood test as well. So very, very rarely would it be a a non-blanching rash. Most of the time when you push on a rash, so you think about you push anywhere in your body, um, anywhere in your skin rather, that it will blanch. So it will turn white and come back. So you push on eczema, it will blanch. You push on... um, an allergy type rash like hives, it will blanch. All of these viral rashes will blanch. Um, and so that's just an, another um, great tool to have in your parenting toolkit and to help you mm. feel a bit more reassured sometimes when they have these rashes. Mm. And I feel like rashes are one of those things that really, really freak parents out um, because obviously they can look really intense mm-hmm. and automatically parents just think, oh my goodness, there's something wrong with my child um, because it's quite intimidating to see them covered in spots, um, especially if there's been some sort of viral illness before and mm-hmm. you're like, oh, I thought my child was getting better and then yes. there's a breakout into a rash. Definitely. I'm sure it's a bit of a roller coaster for yes. parents to be like, I thought my child was better and now they look even worse yeah but absolutely reinforcing what you said about it comes down to the whole clinical picture and it's always coming back to your child and how they're behaving because I always say to my patients like they say how will I know if my baby's sick I say well you're going to know what's normal for your baby and what's not like you're going to learn you're going to get to know them Mm -hmm. and just like us if we were unwell you know we'd change our behavior we're not going to be as flamboyant as we normally are and things like that so it's just is there any change in your child's behavior and has there been a deviation from their normal and they're the things to consider as well as that you know what assessment that you just shared with us so parents can really feel empowered and confident about making those right decisions of what to do next and when to act next. And I feel like that's something that you're really passionate about, Nick, is empowering these parents with, you know, the parenting skills to assess their child and then react and act in the way that we want them to. Yeah, absolutely. And it's more about, yeah, responding and acting rather than being reactive or reacting with every rash or every fever because, you know, like as much as you don't want your children to get sick, you can't wrap them up in cotton wool and they will get sick at Mm. some stage. So if you've got these skills and you've got these tools to be able to help you troubleshoot and work through these illnesses or whatever this may be, it's also much better for yourself. It's much better for your mental health. You'll be able to have a lot more confidence in yourself as well. And as you said, that's where a lot of my passion for education comes through because I, I see, you know, all types of parents in um, within one shift in the emergency department, the parent mm. that has a rash and someone's told them, your child might have a meningococcal, you need to run straight to emergency right now versus mm. the parents that have, um, 
you know, maybe done a first aid course or have been more educated or whatever that may be. I'm not saying there's a right and wrong way to parent. There's certainly not. And there's a huge, um, you know, range and everything. But when you are educated and when you spend time, you know, educating and upskilling yourself, it makes your life a lot easier, I feel. Of course, there's always going to be this self-doubt and um, questioning that, that that will be with you forever probably. But it would just make your life a little bit easier as well. And so, yeah, that's why yeah. a lot of my passion comes from, I guess. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I, I mean, I think it comes to at the end of the day, comes down to that it's okay if you go to see a GP if you're concerned. It's okay to call nurse on call if you're concerned. It's okay to present to the emergency department. Like no one is going to judge you for doing that. Never. And, you know, it's best to... If you are concerned, always go and get that second opinion because you're not medically trained. But as long as we can provide you with that education to make more informed decisions, then it's really just us trying to empower you to feel more confident to care for your child at home and anywhere in the world. Exactly right. And an emergency department is never going to send you away. Um, you might have to wait a, a longer amount of time, but you know when someone presents to the emergency department, of course your priority is caring for that patient and their family, but it's also the perfect opportunity where possible to provide them with education as well, and that's what we try to do. And mm. in saying that, when you're seeking medical help, there's so many different types of health professionals, and everyone is of course doing their best. But if you're a parent and you've taken your child to a GP or to a anyone, a, a, a health professional, and you don't feel heard or you feel like they've misinterpreted what you said or you don't agree something doesn't sit right with you, it's your role as a parent to advocate for your child. So please make sure that you always go and get a second opinion because in my experience, parents are always right. They yeah, they follow that gut feeling and be like, no, that just does not make sense to me or that just does not make um, you know, it doesn't fit this picture. It, I don't feel comfortable or settled or safe with that information. Make sure you go and get that second opinion because um, it is really important. Don't ever feel like you're being annoying or, you know, you're wasting anyone's time. People always say, like, oh, I do want to be a burden on, on the system. Um, you need and you deserve that peace of mind. So don't be afraid to mm. ask for help. Yeah, absolutely. It's just that reassurance that they mm. want as well. But I always say like parents do know best and like you're going to know your child better than anyone else. Um, you're like paternal instinct is and maternal instinct is going to be there. Um, it's just like women in labor, you know, sometimes they'll say like, oh, I feel like the baby's coming. Mm. And an hour ago they were two centimeters and there might be someone outside thinking there's no way this first time mum has mm. gone from two to 10 centimeters in an hour. But I always say, okay, let's go with it. Like trust yep. your body and we'll see what happens and we'll go from there. So absolutely comes down to using um, that maternal instinct and trusting your gut. Yeah, for sure. And we could probably chat about that for a while. Back to yes. <laughs> um, whole different, yeah. whole different topic. Just a couple of other things about viral rashes. I'm sure that everyone's heard about the dreaded hand, foot and mouth disease. And this is a really common um it's really common because it's quite a contagious rash and um, that's often the most common in that sort of toddler age group. It can affect children up to 10 and adults can get hand, foot and mouth disease as well. It's important to note that the um, foot and mouth disease in cows is very different to this hand, foot and mouth disease. Mm. But this hand, foot and mouth disease is an example where the rash is quite 
particular and quite specific. So as the name suggests, hand, foot and mouth. So disease um, lesions, often they are little, um, can look like they're fluid filled spots that are on the hands, feet and in their mouth. Sometimes it can be, they can be all in their mouth and also down their throat. And on the hands, often they're on the palms of the hand and soles of the feet, which is quite atypical for a rash to appear in those areas. And what we see quite a lot in the emergency department is children with hand, foot and mouth come into the department because they actually have such a sore mouth that they don't want to swallow. And so they're not drinking fluids and parents Mm. are concerned about their hydration levels, which is a very valid concern. So the rash could be something specifically like hand, foot and mouth disease. It could be chickenpox. It could be, yeah, lots of different things but you're keeping an eye on those symptoms tracking the symptoms checking any patterns and of course providing just generalized comfort and support Mm. to the child whilst they have the rash and whilst they're in any discomfort so if your child had hand foot and mouth disease you think about if you had ulcers in your mouth would you want to eat your dinner probably not Um, and what type of foods and fluids that you would like to drink and making sure that they have adequate and suitable pain relief given to them before mealtime. So you wouldn't just offer them um, something to eat. And, I mean, they might take it. Hopefully they do. But they, if they've got a mouth of ulcers, they probably won't. But if you give them some pain relief, over-the-counter pain relief, half an hour before you offer them something that's maybe cooling and quite soothing for their mouth, some fluids, you're going to significantly increase the compliance rate, if you will. Yeah. <laughs> Compliance rate with your child. Yeah. Such a nurse. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but super important. I feel like there was definitely a massive influx of hand, foot and mouth um, in the recent months and especially last year that we saw all of that yes. happening. Yeah. Um, so it's great to just have the knowledge and think not so much about the rash, but actually the hydration status of your baby yeah. and child, because that is very important. Yeah, um, for sure. And next we're going to talk about allergic reaction rashes and this is a big concern for parents. Obviously, you know, there's when we're introducing solids into a child but also if they're out and about and trying new things, you know, you've got rashes from like grass and things like that. Um, How can parents sort of assess and look out for those allergic reaction rashes? Yes, great question, Mon. So generally an allergic reaction is quite a specific rash called hives or an urticarial rash. And for those of of you that are familiar or may have seen hives before, it's almost like welts or wheels and it's quite red and it's quite an aggressive looking rash and it can spread around the body quite quickly. And it can also move around the body as well. So you may first notice it on the torso and the left upper arm, for example, and then 10 minutes later it might have spread across the back and down the right glute or something like that. Um, and that's a very typical pattern for a hive, for hives or an urticarial rash. Now, hives can be caused by a virus, like so many things can be caused by a virus. But if someone has hives, we're often thinking about could this be an allergic reaction? And if someone just has has hives and their behavior is normal and their breathing's normal, then this could be a mild to moderate allergic reaction. But if someone had hives, and this is a very important point, if someone had hives, so they had this allergic type reaction, this urticarial rash, 
and they had any trouble breathing or they were otherwise unwell, so they had vomiting and diarrhea, they had any swelling of their eyes, swelling of their lips, we would be very suspicious that this could be anaphylaxis. And so you'd need to call an ambulance, you'd need to call triple zero. And if the child had been had been diagnosed with anaphylaxis, they may have an adrenaline auto injector on them or that has near them that has been prescribed to them. So you would administer this. So first and foremost, just want to make that really important point about hives, that if you suspected it was an anaphylactic reaction, that you need to call triple zero and treat if you had the treatment there. So if you had the adrenaline there. Um, but a lot of the times when children have hives, they're absolutely okay. It's caused by a virus or it may be caused by an allergic reaction. So if someone um, has an allergic reaction and has this allergic hives type rash, generally it comes up pretty quickly um, and would come up within 15 minutes and would certainly be there within two hours. If a child is introduced to a new food and then more than four hours later they had a rash, would actually say that it's probably unrelated because these rashes do come up quite quickly. So if you're at the age and stage where you're introducing new foods and new products and things to your little ones, of course you'll keep an eye out for them. And it's sometimes not only the first time that these um, foods or whatever they may be allergens are introduced, it may be the second, third or fourth exposure as well. So not to be hypervigilant and not to be really scared about it, but just to be aware that, you know, if there was a rash um, to keep an eye on it. Um, and so with these hives, if it is just hives, then that's an allergic reaction. But as I said, I want to make it super clear. If there's some other symptoms, that's an anaphylactic reaction. You need to call triple zero. If your child has hives, it may be something environmental. Like you said, Mon, it could be grasses, it could be animal dander, it could be something environmental that you may not know actually what the trigger is. Um, but if you do know what the trigger is, you follow your doctor's ABCD essentially. So you remove the danger. Um, and then the next step is observing the child and you need to have them assessed. So you need to see a doctor and there's no real right and wrong for this. Um, usually a GP is suitable um, to see if your child has an allergic reaction, if there's any doubt in your mind, if it's anaphylaxis, you will need to call an ambulance, however. Yeah. But yeah, hives, this super common, um, I shouldn't say super common because allergy it's sort of one in 10 kids get allergies and get hives, but it's a really distinct red aggressive type rash that's like wheel. It's really obvious that it's wheels, like circles type shape. Very reassuring for parents to hear that as well because I feel like that's just, you know, a massive part of parenting that everyone fears is mm. is my child going to have an allergic reaction to something and how will I actually react to that yeah absolutely and even though this is nothing to do with rashes but it's very unlikely that a child would have an anaphylactic reaction the first time they're ever exposed to an allergen um, and this is because the child's body doesn't doesn't have antibody, antibodies developed against that allergen um, and so it's actually more likely that it's on a subsequent introduction. Um, but often what we see is hives or another sign of an allergic reaction, such as um, vomiting and diarrhea or um, some swelling of the lips or swelling of the eyes. And as soon as you notice one of these signs, you would stop giving the 
giving the allergen, you remove the allergen and you're going to go to your GP to have an assessment done. So the advice would then not to give that food again until you've seen your doctor. So it's actually really, really rare for a child to have an anaphylactic reaction the first time you've exposed them to something if you're just giving them a small amount. Well, very important for lots of parents to know. Another rash that lots of children may have is called uh, meloscum. And this is a common viral skin infection that causes these small, harmless raised spots to appear on the skin. Um, And it's caused by this virus. And once your child has the rash, they can have it for weeks, they can have it for um, several months or even more than a year. It usually doesn't need any treatment. Um, Most of the time, it'll clear up on its own after six to 18 months. Um, And most of the time, it doesn't lead to scarring. Treatment's not routinely recommended for these types of spots, um, but there are a few treatment um, treatments that could be available. Again, you speak to your healthcare professional, um, but sometimes these increase the risk of spreading and can increase the risk of scarring. So um, they're not always recommended. And it is quite contagious and can be found in water, so often in um, pools and baths and sharing towels and things like that. Um, mm. So... I'm sure that you may know of someone or someone's child that's had this rash. They're not itchy. They're not bothered at all by it. It's more a cosmetic thing that they might have a few of these red spots on their belly. So, um, yeah, nothing to be too concerned about for that one. Yeah, once again, parents, just leave them alone. Don't touch anything. I know, it's so tempting, particularly if you're yeah, a everyone scratch just wants to like touch me. everything. Yeah. <laughs> well, I guess we do it to ourselves, so we can't help it to know potentially do it to our child but leave them alone because we don't want to irritate them and we also don't want to introduce any bacteria and potentially cause even more harm um, to our child yeah exactly right and one last rash that, that I'll talk about is measles because I know this is something that's often on parents mind as well so thankfully that measles is not very common Um, And measles is something that you're vaccinated against if you choose to be vaccinated. Um, If your child, if you think your child has measles, you would um, make sure that you go and see a um, healthcare professional. So you'd go and see your GP. Um, Measles can be quite dangerous, but like I said, it is very rare. It's quite a widespread uh, rash that's Mm. over the skin. And also to note for parents that during your pregnancy, um, us midwives will look at your measles, mumps and like rubella sort of status and make sure that you are covered, um, your immunity is up to date with the level that it should be. And obviously if that's the case, then your antibodies will be passed through the placenta to your baby. Um, But also if it's not up to date, you'll be given a booster injection post birth and then if you're breastfeeding your baby will then also get those antibodies through your breast milk to help um create an immunity system for them yeah awesome because you can't you can't have your mmr because um when you're pregnant can you because i remember my gp said to me you need to get your um when they did all the bloods to check and i didn't know that you can't have your mmr while you're pregnant so well that's your measles mumps and rubella Yeah. Yeah. So that's why we check for it because, you know, we want to give these little babies all the immunity that they can get post-birth. Awesome. Nick, we've already sort of touched on this about, you know, how can parents care for their baby or infant or child um, at home if they do develop a rash, but maybe we'll just recap on this. So obviously, depending on the type of rash is going to depend on the way that we treat them, but do you mind just doing a quick summary for us 
so parents can take it on? Yes, of course. So if your child has a rash, you're going to be doing a, a an assessment of the child. So you may know what's causing the rash. Your child may have a cold and now they've developed this rash and you think, I think this is a post-viral rash. But also it's not your role as a parent to diagnose your child. It's your role as a parent to know what's normal for your child and what's not and to identify um, when you think there's something wrong. And like I said, writing it down and tracking is really helpful so if your child has a rash you'd be looking at their behavior looking their hydration um looking at their breathing all these other things that we're talking about as well and taking into consideration that bigger picture you may be thinking about um are there any potential patterns here are there any triggers here is are there any thing that you can do to potentially decrease the exposure of, of this rash if it was eczema or something like that if you ever suspected that the rash was um, due to an anaphylactic reaction, so it was an allergic type rash, of course, you'd need to call an ambulance. Another time that when you're at home, the management might be a bit different if you had that non-blanching rash. So like I was saying about that petechiae rash, when you push on it, if the, if the rash doesn't turn white or it doesn't blanch, um, then you will also need to go to hospital as well. Um, but just trying to... Yeah, be led by the child's behaviour is really important as well. And, um, yeah, keeping, like I said, I can't talk about it enough, keeping track of the symptoms and keeping a bit of a diary is is really helpful too. Well, Nick, I think that you have definitely covered all bases here and really reassured my audience um, about everything to do with normal versus abnormal rashes, when you should be concerned and also, most importantly, how you can treat and respond to um, whether when your child has a rash. Um, so I think you've definitely taken that little bit of uncertainty out of parents' mind and really empowered them. And I'm so grateful for you coming on and sharing your knowledge with not only me, but my audience once again. Thanks, Mon. Absolute pleasure. I love sharing my knowledge and educating others. So yeah, thanks for having me. My absolute pleasure. And of course, parents, if you're listening, make sure you check out Rhythm First Aid because Nick, you can already tell that she's very passionate with what she does and she is a great educator. So make sure you check her out and book her into, um, book into a class with her because, you know, she's not long to go until she's mm. on mat leave. Well, yes. We'll still have other, our <laughs> other expert educators facilitating the courses as well so you don't need to panic too much. <laughs> No. Well, thanks, Nick, and have a lovely day. You too. Thanks, Mon. Chat soon. Bye. Thank you for listening to today's episode of MIDI. Your support means the absolute world to me. So if you loved this episode and want to stay up to date with the latest interviews and midwifery education, please hit the subscribe button and leave a five-star review. For further information about this episode, please check the show notes below. If you wish to share your pregnancy and motherhood experience, you can get in touch with me by emailing hello at themidisociety.com.au and find us on Instagram at at themidisociety or at Monique underscore Maitland. I cannot wait for you to join me next week. I'll be talking all things flap chat. In the meantime, I hope you have an amazing week and remember you're doing the best you can. Mm-hmm.